Hi and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. Today is Mother's Day in Australia, which is, uh, I don't know, it's a strange feeling watching everybody celebrate their mothers, but it's nice, but it's strange. I wrote a post about it up on my Patreon. It's a free post. If you, you can subscribe for free, most of the posts are free. I'll occasionally do a $1 post. Uh, and the uh, the full download of The Resistance is available there as well for a $5 download. Um, thank you everybody who's been writing to me. I know The Resistance went up on ABC2 last night because I got a lot of lovely messages and one not-so-nice message, but uh, that was that was nice to get a little flood of affirmations in the evening after the penultimate show of Empire here in Perth, which has been going very well. Tonight is the last night of, of my run in Perth. I may be doing... One more Sydney gig at the Sydney Comedy Store. I think it will be on the 16th of June. Uh, But I will confirm that. I will confirm that and let you know. Thank you everyone who's been emailing me. AliceRFraser at gmail.com. Everyone who's been uh, hitting me up on Twitter at Alliterative. That's really delightful. This week's guest is Paulie Solomon, who I've had on the podcast before. We are very old friends. We grew up together and... uh, he is now working as a chef. We talked about arranged marriages. We talked about jealousy. Uh, we talked about how he feels about MasterChef and how he feels about fat shaming as a larger man. So I hope you enjoy listening to the podcast. I really enjoyed having the conversation with Paulie, as I always enjoy spending time with him. And I hope I hope you uh, end up this conversation feeling as fond about, of him as I do. So... That's all. That's all for me today. I will let you get on with listening to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. No, I'm going to have my bubble tea. Uh, <laughs> welcome to the podcast. Who are you, and what are you drinking? Uh, I or what am, have you drunk? I am uh, well, Paulie P, Sandwich Jones, any number of names I probably go by these days, and uh, strawberry milkshake is my drink of choice. Oh, it's a good, it's a good, it, well, it counts. I mean, it's it's something in milk. It's, let's call it a tea. It's a beverage, right? It's like a strawberry Can tea. Why not? Yeah, it's, we call it a beverage. I'll go with beverage. Go I with beverage. call it beverages with Alice and then yeah. we can have whatever we like. Because tea is a state of mind. It's not so much about the drink, it's about the vibe. Okay, fair. Which, uh, yeah, I, uh, I've i had you on the podcast before and we've had a lot it, of It was a couple of chats. years ago. Yeah, a Must have been a couple ago. of years ago now. I and it was a, it was a, a very nice chat that we had. I can't remember what we talked about, but I'm sure it was good. Probably working in radio, which seems a long time ago now. What are you wrestling with at the moment in your brain? What am I wrestling with? Uh, well, I'm coming to the end of my apprenticeship as a chef. Um, so I guess I'm wrestling with what to do next. Um, I kind of, you know, I don't, I don't really know if restaurants are for me. Why um, do you not like them? What, or what don't you like about them? What do you like about them? I like when you have a good brigade of people and you smash out a good service on a busy night, which is rare. Uh, there's a sense of adrenaline that you don't get. I have never gotten from anything else in my life. Um, and I miss that. I'm working in airline catering at the moment and you don't get the same sense of satisfaction making 60 kilos of coleslaw. Um, Man, I mean, 
uh, about the myths. Like there are myths about airline food. There, the two main ones are one that they stick emodium in them so you don't do poos on yeah, long haul no, none, none of that that I've seen. Um, and the other one is that it's heavily salted because your taste buds don't work in the air. Yeah, I don't think it's any more salted because everyone's tasting everything on the ground. Mm-hmm. So if you heavily salt stuff, you know, I mean, one of the girls got in trouble one day, this soup's too salty, you know, chuck it in the bin. So I, I think while it is true about your taste buds at 30,000 feet, I think because you're tasting and testing everything on the ground, it has to be suitable for if I'm on the ground to eat it. At least Not, at least edible on the ground. Yeah, it can't correct. be completely it, out of this world. Yeah, exactly. And I think salt is one of those things that if you put too much in, you know very quickly, you know, it's... And there are ways to fix that, you know, depending on what you're making. This is one of the things that's been fun to learn. You can you can add a bit of sugar sometimes and you can offset it. The other thing is if you're making like a soup, you can put a potato in. And if you put a potato in, a potato will absorb some of that salt, but the starch will thicken your soup. So you have to be careful with how much, like how long you leave the potato in. But it's a really interesting thing that you can do this. There are There are things you can do to kind of try and fix it, but if you put too much in and it's completely buggered, then... You're add, shit out of luck. Add, <laughs> you got to start soup, again. Maybe. Yeah. Well, that too. You can dilute it, of course. Um, but yeah, uh, sometimes you're just shit out of luck and it has to go in the bin. And you have to start oh, again. That's tragic, particularly if you're making large quantities. Yeah. Well, exactly. I mean, yeah. You make six kilos of coleslaw and you put too much salt in that shit and it goes in the bin, then people are going to start asking questions of you and. That's not so good. Airline food is sort of a marvel of modern engineering, right? That they managed to pack all these full meals into tiny, tiny... Here's what's amazing about it. So I'm in the kitchen, right? I'm in the cold kitchen at the moment, sort of prepping stuff. And next door to us, there is a production line of incredible ladies. And I say ladies because they are all ladies on the production line. It's not a sexist thing. They're just... That's how it is. And occasionally we'll finish early and uh, my contract states that I have to work 37 and a half hours a week so I'm not allowed to go home before one o'clock which sometimes is just ridiculous you finish at 12 o'clock and you sit around and you're like this is bullshit I want to go home but anyway the contract states you have to do this and the company I work for cracked the shits that I was going home early they're like we pay you for 37 and a half hours you're doing bloody 37 and a half hours don't care so occasionally I'll go next door and help out the production girls just for fun and I've done it twice now and they love having me because I'm hilariously bad at what they do. <laughs> and they have this conveyor belt and you walk in, you see them doing it and it doesn't look like it's going very fast. You're like, how hard can this be? Within about four trays, I don't have any idea what's going on and trays are just going past me and things are not making it on. And that can be really simple stuff. Put this butter on, put this jam on, put this bread roll on. And not overly complicated put this cutlery on you would not believe how much i struggle with it and they they're like oh this is so funny ha <laughs> look at paulie he's so shit and i'm like and you know and they're like oh you should come and help us more and i'm like no i will give you ladies the shits like it's fun every now and again you guys find it hilarious i find it hilarious if i worked here full time you would be so angry at me <laughs> within about 12 seconds you would be like get out you're not built for the production line life, Paulie? I don't think so, but they do say within a week you kind of have it down and you can get all the movements. But, yeah, I'm not good at the production line. This is what I've discovered. And every time I join them, I'm like, they're all like, oh, it's so good that you're here. Thanks for coming to help. And I'm like, just give it a minute and you'll realise that you're not really that happy that I'm here. <laughs> but they insist on saying that it's very nice and 
they're very lovely ladies and they're, they're always trying to marry me off they always ask me you know are you married do you have a girlfriend and i'm like no no and they're like oh well maybe we should thought that oh, it's very strange people you don't really know trying to marry you off is a it's a weird concept I mean, it's it is it's an interesting concept. Are you are you would you be willing to be married off? Would you be willing to engage in a, an arranged marriage of some kind? I think with a person who knew me well, and I had this conversation years ago with, um, I had gone out with this girl, and then, you know, we broke up, but we stayed friends for a while, and we went out one night with a guy that she worked with. You know, they were just friends, they were work colleagues, and he was talking about the idea of arranged marriages, and he's like, you know, you have these old Sri Lankan aunties that have been doing it for years and they have a very very high success rate they know you very well they know what they think will be compatible with you and if you look at you know if I choose or you know you choose person chooses their partner I reckon I mean culturally there's got to be something to it as well but I think divorce rates are much higher if people have chosen their own partners as opposed to arranged marriages and I think there's something to be said for that. I mean, it's got to be cultural as well, but there's a shame in getting divorced. But there, there's got to be something to it. Yeah, I think it's also partly cu- uh, an attitude to marriage, and that's something that's shifted in our society as well. It used to be, you know, marriage was a, an enterprise that you engaged in with somebody else rather than an expression of your love. Yeah. Which is one of the interesting things when I come to discussions about gay marriage. Because if you think of it as the old-fashioned, like traditional marriage, it was much. It was a very different thing from what we call marriage now. The way that we do marriage now, as a society, is just two people who love each other. In which case, there's no real arguments to, against it for whatever kind of yeah. combination of people. No, exactly. I, you also get people who like, you know, it just gets ridiculous. Well, if we if we allow the gays to get married, then what if someone wants to marry a dog or a robot? You know, well, now we're talking about absurd things. If someone wants to marry a horse they need to see us shrink. Like, you know, I mean, two people of the same gender, we're still all humans here. Like, there's still some level of communication that goes on and it's all okay, you know. When we start saying, you know, what if I want to marry my TV? Well, you can go fuck yourself then. Well, I mean, go right ahead if you want, <laughs> I guess. I don't, I don't know how there's a legal contract with that or, you know, if the TV cheats on you by someone else watching it or I don't, I don't really know how that works. But... I certainly have had that argument. I'm with you. I'm like, let them do whatever they like. And I don't say like that, like them over there and us and them. I'm just saying let people whoever. in general, yeah. let them do whatever they want. I don't care. It doesn't hurt. Like, it doesn't make any difference to my life. If two dudes or two girls or, you know, two he, she's, whatever we want to call them, want to get married, it doesn't affect my life at all. I could not care less. They can do whatever they like. And, you know... I think the, everyone's always like, oh, the sanctity of marriage. But you have a 50% divorce rate. You know, you want to talk about the sanctity of marriage. Well, we've got much bigger problems than... And I think, you know, I remember talking to my dad about it one time. And I was saying, you know, traditionally, uh, rightly or wrongly, the certainly of gay males, the uh, stereotype is that they're quite promiscuous, right? This yeah. is rightly or wrongly, whatever, I've never experimented with that, I don't know, so, you know, I'm not hanging out at glory holes in public dunnies, but, you know, whatever, and I think if two people want to settle down and, like, not be promiscuous, that's only better, like, that's only a good thing for it, and I think from my experience with the gay people that I know and my friends who are gay, the ones that get into long-term relationships are really serious about it, and it's not, it's probably more serious than 
a heterosexual couple who get into it and then they're like, oh, this is shit. And so they break up. I think the long-term relationships are much more serious and I think the marriages are much more likely to last. Yeah, I think it's... I don't know if this will change as it becomes more accepted by mainstream society, but I think it's not the default. I mean, with, with straight couples... Uh, monogamy is the default. And if you're with someone for a certain amount of time, you start to think, oh, well... This is might, it, right? yeah, yeah, might as well. Yeah. But it's not, it's not... It's sort of almost going back to first principles with yeah. relationships. You have more kind of flexibility because it's not, there's not this you know, centuries-long tradition of how it should go that you're slotting into. You're, you're kind of building your own bridges. So it's, it's a, I think in many ways it can be a more considered thing yeah i'm i'm all for it and also something that you had to fight for so you i I don't want people to think that i'm you know have any problems with that yeah they can do whatever they like i'm all for it let them bloody do whatever they want we were were having a chat earlier today about uh competitiveness oh yes you you have two siblings yes i do very high achievers my siblings always have been probably always will be what is most interesting is um to see them and the way they relate to their own successes uh you know my sister is a research chemist does molecular electronics whatever the hell that means um took me three years to learn to say that so tiny 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 robots something like that don't ask me anymore because i can't tell you um but from what i can gather she is like super super highly regarded in her field and doing incredible stuff you know getting incredible papers published but we never hear about it you know Mm. she just doesn't talk about it and my brother is a finance professor he also incredibly talented incredibly smart guy but and maybe it's you know the maybe it's about how hard it is to get papers published i don't really know anything about that world you know There aren't no cooking papers being published. That's for damn sure. (laughs) Um, But we'll always hear about it when David gets a paper published. He's like, hey, I've got this paper published. And it's not a boast. It's just a, hey, this is kind of exciting. And, you know, let's all get excited for it. Okay, fine. I'm happy to join in his celebration. But certainly, you know, he sort of will always tell you. And then, you know, my sister's now some editor of some high-level journal, you know, or assistant editor. And it took a long time before I even found that out, which I would have thought was like, hey, check it out. I'm pretty red hot at what I do. And it's, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's funny the way they relate to their successes as well. And do you, and you relate to them as well? Do you feel a sympathetic joy for their success? Oh, or? completely. I'm, I'm delighted when either of them have any success. I'm like that with all of my friends. And I'm like that with even stupid things. Like I, I have a friend of mine and, uh, you know, often when we go out, we will end up at the casino. And the other day, I had left. Uh, I had to go out, you know, with other people. And him and another friend of ours were still there. I sent him a message saying, how'd you go? And he said, the jackpot paid. I won 70 grand. And my first reaction, he didn't. He just likes he to lying. bullshit. But my first reaction was like, that jerk can't believe you won all that money. My second reaction was... I've spent so many hours with him at the casino. I'm pissed that I wasn't there to share in his joy. You know, like that's what I was upset about more than anything was he's had this massive win and I wasn't there to join in the fun. And it's never going to be the same when he tells me when we next meet up. Yeah, I I've, I found that one of your kind of extraordinary qualities I, when I describe you to friends of mine is I'm like, Paul is the person who if you beat him in a race, he's happy for you first. Oh yeah, of course. What? I mean, what? 
I, I don't really understand, you know, jealousy at success. I, I think sometimes it appears like people don't do much, you know, and this just comes to them. And you and I have this kind of upbringing of way back when, past lives, whatever. They've been doing stuff such that this now occurs, right? And so I always think about that. And I don't think things come from nothing. And I was saying to you, you know, you were asking me what I was going to do when I finished my apprenticeship. And I was like, oh, you know, I had this idea. I was sort of loosely working in my head on a TV show. I said, but nothing will come of it because I'm really lazy and I can't be asked. And no one is going to headhunt some guy who's like making food for an airline to be like, you should be on TV. It's not going to happen. So if I'm not doing anything and someone I know who's in the same field is out there actively trying to get something off the ground and they have success, why am I going to be jealous? Like, I've done less than fuck all. I can't, I can't be envious of them because they've gone out and done something and it's worked out for them. You know, I, I think that's... I, I, I just... I don't... Jealousy is not a thing I get, you know. I, I was going out with this girl and she's like... Oh, if I go out and, like, uh, hook up with another guy, will you be pissed? And I'm like, I don't give a shit. Like, do whatever you like. And she couldn't... She was really angry at me for saying that. And I'm like, well, why do I care? Like, obviously, there's something you've seen in him that you like, and good for him. <laughs> like, you know, like... And I'm not saying, like, if I get married that I want my wife to go out and bang other dudes. Like, f far from that. But if you go out and you meet someone and there's some connection, what the hell can I do? Like, good for them. Good for you. See you later. She's just a, jealousy is kind of a foreign concept to you. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I get jealous. I mean, there's probably there's probably weird things that I get jealous about. Like, I get I get food envy at a restaurant. If I order <laughs> badly and someone else orders really well, or we're like discussing two dishes and we both want the same thing, I have this policy when I go out with my friends. Like, you can't order the same thing off the menu. That's just a fucking waste of a menu, right? So someone has to choose something else. And if it turns out that I choose something else and what I wanted originally was better, then I'm jealous. I'm like, shit, that's what I wanted. I knew it when I read the menu. Or if they get the other one, the other one's better. I'm like, shit, I should have swapped. Like that I get jealous about because, you know, I'm a little bit chubby and I, I like my food. Like, you know, so, so there is some things, but I don't think I get jealous about the important things in life. I think mm -hmm. it's very superficial and I get over it very quickly. I'm the same in a fight. I'll be pissed, I'll be pissed for 10 minutes and then I move on with my life. I don't, I don't feel you have to kind of keep bringing this stuff up, you know, like, oh, remember six months ago when you said blah? Who gives a shit? It was six months ago, we've moved on with our lives. I think I have that uh, too and I don't know whether it's just a personality thing or maybe part of our upbringing. I remember it sort of has lasted through to my adult life, but I remember when I was a kid and I would be hanging out with my twin, Henry, and he'd do something and I would be annoyed and then he'd go away and I would try to remind myself that when I saw him again, I should still be annoyed at him, <laughs> but I would forget. And so when I saw, see him again, I'd be like, ah, hen, and, and hang out. And it would, wouldn't be until five minutes into us hanging out again that I'd realise that I was meant to be annoyed. But that's like, you know, I was, I was going out with this girl and, you know, one, like one night we had a fight. We went to bed and we had a fight. And then I got up and I went to work and I came back the next day and I walk back into the house and I'm like hey how's your day been and she got really angry she's like how can you come back and pretend like nothing happened and I'm like because it's a new day like that happened that was shitty we move on with our lives like I'm not gonna bloody grovel for an hour just because you were pissed at me last night and if you want to continue to be pissed 
that's on you because whatever it was has well and truly passed now like this is a new day we can start again i just don't have it i and i think i think sometimes that's actually a problem for me in relationships because i tend not to fight i'm not good at fighting i'm like you i don't like conflict i don't you know we would have these fights and i'd just be like all right fair enough you're right cool i'll fix it and you know when people want to fight and you just kind of Okay, you're right. That's the worst thing for them. They want you to be like, nah, fuck this. And yeah, I just I th- don't do it. I, I think I can't. a lot of people, like, I have a theory that often the way you feel is just how you feel. Sometimes it comes from something or you're stressed out or whatever, or you have a genuine reason. But I think at least some of the time, and I wouldn't put a number on it, but at least some of the time you just feel a way. You wake up in the morning and you're a little bit grumpy or yeah. you're a little bit sad. Yeah. And and if you look hard enough for a reason, you'll find one. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. If, if they're just annoyed or lonely or they feel, you know, don't they feel unconnected or or they feel aggressive or whatever it happens to be and you're there. Yeah then that's the thing that they will be annoyed about because they have to be annoyed about something. You can't just be annoyed. But I also have no illusions that I'm an annoying person. Like, I have things that I will do. You know, I have a friend of mine, uh, Doc Nick, nicest guy in the world. Uh, We've been friends. We met at uni, like, 14 years ago. We've been, like, best mates ever since. I have seen him get angry twice. And I will have, like, days where I will prod him and try and get a rise out of him. And you just can't. You know, one time... We were hanging out. We used to hang out with this girl and she had a younger sister. I don't know, younger sister was 12 or 13 at the time and was like doing a little athletics. And so we went and supported it. We got, this really fun. So we, her little sister was Connie. So we decided we'd make these shirts with like Connie and we'd have like our <laughs> names on the back and we'd have like 69, right? Hilarious because it's a hilarious number. Anyway, <laughs> Doc and I, not the smartest guys in the world. So we made these shirts, beautiful, happy with it. You know, so I mean, I've, got, I've got like NY, I've got like Paulie P on the back. I... And then we like stood next to each other and 96. We're like, fuck. We had a 50-50 chance of nailing this and we still <laughs> managed to cog it up. We just could not kind of compute it. But I mean, 96 is is better, I think, than the other way around because at least, uh, I mean, you're 13, 13 year old girls. Oh, yeah, she, didn't, she never saw the back though because it was always just Connie facing her. Anyway, so, I, so we've like left, right? And I'm like, ah, she's got a crush on you. <laughs> so funny, right? And he's like, there was a cup in my car. I don't know, like a mum had had a cup. And he picked the cup up. I was driving. He was riding shotgun. Picked the cup up and he whacked me in the nuts with it. It really hurt. It's the only time I've genuinely seen him get angry about anything. Incredible, right? Like, that's what it was. You know, the straw that broke the camel's back. But that was 12 years ago. I haven't seen him get pissed since. Why and do I'm you an think, annoying man. Why, I mean, why did you think that was the, th- the straw that broke the camel's back? I just think he was probably having a bad day. I kind <laughs> of, you know, he's like, I don't really think that this is an appropriate thing for you to be saying necessarily. And so he's reacted to it. And, and quite rightly, you know, I, I don't begrudge him of that. Yeah, I, th- I think it's unusual for guys to, I mean, I think it's uncomfortable for guys to be, to feel like, particularly with young, very young girls who get crushes on them. I don't think guys have a vocab for dealing with that, oh, particularly no, older not. guys. There's, it's very difficult. That there's no proper way to deal no, with exactly. it. No, exactly. You can't do anything and you just have to hope it goes away because otherwise, you know. And, and I, think, I think the way society is set up 
it always looks like if anything even vaguely sus happens the guy always looks like the bad guy in it and there's no way out of that you just then you know then you bug it and i think yeah that's probably part of it you know but i'm a turd like the, the whole thing it's got nothing to do with him the point of this story is that i'm a massive turd uh, but you know <laughs> he doesn't you know the guy doesn't get angry it's incredible it's a superpower it is a superpower it's a real skill i mean it's difficult i think in in perth which is a relatively small city to have you know very close friends for a very long period of time because most people go away some go away some uh you know some just end up with partners or you know and sort of you know one of my other friends who i was very close to for a long time you know still a great guy but you know so i went away i lived in england for two years um doc nick and his girlfriend went away we sort of used to hang out as the three of us a lot of the time and you know so we were both away and then he met this girl and then now they're engaged and have two kids and we almost never see the guy like but he he was always kind of a one friend person he was kind of like a it sounds horrible but he was kind of like a dog he could only really have one kind of this person is my like person and then you know so then once he found someone to replace us which is fair because we're away like he doesn't have to you know live on his own and be a loser for doesn't two have to years sit while by I'm the away. gravestone howling no exactly and you know but then i come back and i'm like hey let's hang out and he's like oh well you know i've kind of got this other friend now okay cool good for you fair enough see you never so will you be a chef forever is that the plan or will I, you throw I, it in and do it because this is like your third career more or less well, second really i was in radio and then i was a bum for a while and i don't think that's really a career choice <laughs> um and then i got into chefing but i I, don't, I i'm trying to work out how to combine the chefing and broadcasting but i've never really done tv stuff you know, TV is a bit foreign to me. I mean, it was part of what I studied, but it's it's foreign. I never aspired to be a TV guy. I always aspired to be a radio guy with the broadcasting. What made you make that choice? Um, I always thought that I was... I mean, now it's a bit different. You know, the TV landscape's changed a lot, and particularly with things like YouTube and, you know, any, anyone can be quote-unquote famous, right? Like, I'm doing air quotes here because... I don't know how much fame necessarily you get from YouTube, but I think a guy who is a bit chubby and a bit weird looking um, for a lot of years, that was not necessarily what people expected to see on TV. And even as a, I mean, originally I wasn't thinking about chefing. So, you know, as a chef, it's a bit different. There's that old adage of never trust a skinny chef, you know, but I heard Bourdain talking about that. And he's like, if you start your career as a fat person you've got problems if you go in as a thin guy and by the end you're a fat guy it's very different you know because kitchens are inherently small and you have to move very fast a lot of the time That's and if you're a big guy you just can't do it like it's a lot harder to do and you know so it, that idea of never trust a skinny chef is sort of i think that's a thing that fat people have come up with to make themselves feel better Actually, and I say that as a guy who's chubby, not as a judgment against fat people. As someone who is, you know, overweight, I say that to, you know, it, it's a thing that makes us feel better about being fat, and particularly in that field. Speaking of that, how do you feel about the fat acceptance movement? Um, 
the kind I, of you know. So I for a while uh, I went. I'll out contextualize that. I have I have some friends who are very active in that movement. Yeah. And I've you know I've had body image issues in the past. I used to run sort of compulsively. Yeah. And uh, I. Uh, I don't know how I feel about it. I don't really have a strong opinion, so I'm interested to... I, I think, I think you know, uh, Dad spent a lot of time telling me that, like, if you went for a job and people saw you as a fatty, they would traditionally think fat people are lazy. And I think that's that's a widely accepted subconscious view, mm-hmm. you know? And you can be big and you can be active and it can just be that, you know, you don't have a very good metabolism and so you put on weight and you tend to be a bigger person, right? But you can be super active. You know, I I used to work with a guy who is quite a big guy, but when we had to clean the canopy, you know, above the stove, when it was disgusting, he would literally do a like standing jump onto the stove, like incredibly kind of agile for a big guy. You would never pick it, but it was amazing. And I think, I think the acceptance of it makes it easier for you to be judged less. You can then, you know, be seen for what you are. You're not necessarily seen as like, oh, look, it's the fat, lazy guy. But if you are fat and lazy, then you deserve to be judged as fat and lazy, you know? And I'm, I will defer to laziness. I say this as a guy who, you know, as I said earlier, I will have these ideas and I'll just do nothing with them, you know, because I can't be bothered because I'm lazy. You know, I'd much rather lie on my bed and, you know, watch an episode of the Goldbergs and fall asleep than, like, get a notebook out and be like, all right, how am I actually going to make this idea work? And, you know, I mean, in terms of that sort of stuff, I can film on my phone, I can do, you know, we have so much stuff at our disposal now, it's not like, where am I going to get a video camera? You know, like, there is no excuse other than, I can't be fucked. You know, and that's not an excuse, but like, you know, there's no reason. I remember hearing someone talking about Tropfest films and they were saying, you know, the power of the camera in your phone now is better than the big cameras they had when they made the castle. So where the hell aren't you making films? You know, like, there is no excuse. You can't be like, oh, I don't have a good camera because you do. It's like right there in your hand. It's in your pocket all the time. You can just pull it out and you can start filming and I think, you know, particularly for those sorts of pilots or whatever you want to call it, it doesn't have to be amazing. If people see like a kernel of a show that they like, then there's something to work with. You know, you don't have to have super slick production because of course you're not going to on your phone, you know, like the audio is going to be a bit shit and this and that. But yeah, for me, it's laziness. So I think, I think if you're judged as a fat and lazy person, getting back to the point because you're a fat and lazy person, well... You know, only you can change that. You can go out and you can be active and you can try and lose weight or whatever. Uh, But I think the idea that you're not necessarily judged instantly as that is probably not a bad thing. But then... Do you think that that movement is working? Do you think the movement towards fat acceptance and towards acceptance of the fat body as beautiful is making an impact on mainstream culture? Or do you think it's just a silo... Uh, I think it's a little bit, but I also think, I mean, the negative to it is that if you're, if it becomes acceptable to be fat and people don't really think much of it, I think the problem is that people who are fat are then not motivated to get skinny and there's a health aspect to it as well. And if you're carrying weight, it's not good for you, but if it's accepted, then you're like, oh, well, whatever. And I think then, you know, I remember 
when I lived in England one time and I had this German doctor, you know, who was a friend of ours and he once told me, he's like, look, you can be overweight and that's fine and you can have a heart attack and drop dead at 45, right? And whatever, you know, if that's okay with you, then that's okay. But the other option is you have a stroke and you become a vegetable and then you're just a burden to everyone. And I'd never actually thought of it in those terms because you don't get to choose that. That's not like you can't choose which way it goes. And then you think, well, if I'm going to be a burden to people, then maybe I should do something about it. And, and maybe I have the stroke anyway. You know, maybe I'm skinny and I still have the stroke because that's my lot in life. But at least I've done what I can to avoid that, you know? And, mm. and so I, I think that's also part of it. People don't really think about the long term kind of there's not a long view on when you're fat you're just like oh yeah i'm a bit chubby and you know i should lose some weight i should go to the gym but you know i mean again it's like inertia is like inertia is strong it's hard to be motivated to go to the gym because it's also you see a lot of attractive people at the gym and maybe you know not necessarily like the most beautiful faces in the world but you know skinny people and svelte people and muscly people and you're like the hell am I doing here? <laughs> like, I don't fit into this world, you know? And I remember talking to my sister about it and she's like, anytime I see a guy or a girl who's a bit bigger at the gym, all I think is good on them. You know, she's like, I'm really happy for them that they're doing something. But I think as the fat guy, you still think you're being judged by these people. Like, what are they doing here? Like, yeah. you don't belong here. And, and I'm sure most of them are like, hey, good for that guy. He's trying to do something about this. I support that. But they never say that. No one ever vocalizes that because no one ever really talks at the gym. Well, I think there's sort of a couple of aspects to that. One is that people as a, as a society are mainstream, people who are critical of people who are overweight for the reason that they are a burden on the health system. We're not very good as individuals. Humans are not very good at thinking in that scale. Like there's that thing where if you show a charity video, people will give more money if it's one child than if it's two children. Yeah. Or if it's four children, they'll give less money then, yeah. which is completely irrational. And in the same way, if you say, oh, you'll be a burden on the system, there's no sense of personal responsibility. If it's you'll be a burden on your family, that's yeah. a different argument. And the second one is that I don't think shame is a good motivator. No, not at all. I, I think Shame I, is useful to stop people running around on the streets, hitting other people or doing poo on things. But as a, like, it's not a good, it's not a good thing to do to someone. But it's also like, you know, so I, I did go through a period where I went to the gym and I lost quite a bit of weight. And then I, you know, got distracted with life and stopped going to the gym and put a lot of it back on. But I remember, you know, for a lot of years, dad was like, oh, you should lose weight. You know, you're getting fat. And I think that also, you know, there's a knee-jerk reaction to one's parents telling you what to do. And I knew he was right, and I knew that his point was solid. But I'm just like, piss off, I'm an adult, don't tell me what to do. And then, you know, I was living in England, and my doctor's like, oh, you know, I want you to come see me, and, you know, I want to talk to you. And he, he described it in a way that I'd never thought of. So this, to me, worked really well when I was there. And he's like, so you have to think of in terms of the number of calories that you eat per day, right? He's like, you have a credit card. You don't know what the limit on the credit card is. You're shopping, but you also don't know the price of anything. And eventually you're going to max that bad boy out. And, you know, so I spent maybe three or four months kind of loosely counting calories. And it was very interesting just to have that knowledge of, you know, if I eat, you know, 250 grams of fried rice, like this is like 700 calories. 
half my daily intake, you know, I'll have 1500 calories a day, but it's not going to sustain me for half a day, you know? And so that was very interesting as a kind of learning experience. And I don't think that I necessarily think about it now, like, oh, how many calories in this when I go out to eat? But you just have some understanding of how things work in a way that you didn't necessarily know before. And I think for me, that was that was the motivator to then be like, okay, well, let's try and work out what the value on this credit card is and let's try and work out what we're buying. And that worked for me because it wasn't, it wasn't preachy. It wasn't, you're a fatty, you should lose weight. It was just, you should have knowledge of what's going on here. And you can do whatever you like with that knowledge, but the knowledge is important. Do you find that that knowledge feeds into your... Uh, no, like your chefing in any way? Not at all. No. I, I don't think about that stuff. I, I think particularly, I mean, now it's a bit more relaxed, you know, in the catering game, it's a bit less frantic than it was in a restaurant. But I think in a restaurant, for the most part, you don't have time to think. You're just trying to pump food out, you know, and you, you know, you work in a restaurant and you do 800 covers in a night. <laughs> you're not thinking about, you're, looking i mean you know so i i was fortunate enough to work in a restaurant where everything came up on screens uh so you didn't have to hear that awful docket machine going dee, 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 dee. anyone who's worked in a restaurant will know that noise and it haunts your nightmares forever it's the worst sound in the world but everything came up on screen so we avoided all of that but you know you just basically would be looking and how do i you know you would have a full screen of orders and you were just like how do i get this out you know how how do i clear this so I can have 20 seconds so that I can have a drink and I can just take a breath and then I can start again, you know. And I, I don't think you have time to think about the nutritional aspects of what you're sending out, you know. Nor do you have time to think about the nutritional aspects of what you're eating if you manage to, like, be out the back and, you know, shove a couple of chips in your face because you're hungry. You, you're not thinking, oh, my God, this is, like, really bad for me. How many calories are in this? You're just like... I'm, hungry and I have to get through this service and I have to get this food out so that people are happy and that's what I'm doing and that's how I'm doing it yeah I mean, but but I was also you know I was very sedentary for a lot of years and I think particularly working in a busy kitchen you can't be you are running around you know and I I worked um the first kitchen I worked in I was on what they call cold larder you know salads garlic breads you know that sort of stuff and then the next kitchen I was at I moved on to the grill and so it was hot you were sweating a lot, you were, you know, drinking a lot of water, but you were running, you know, there was a lot of like, you were flying around that kitchen, and I, I think it's also important, you know, so often on a, you know, Saturday night or Friday night, there would be two of us, and you learnt very quickly that some people you could dance with, and others you couldn't, you know, some people you would just constantly run into each other, you would both go the same way, and some people you just kind of got it, and you would dance, and you would never run into each other, and you would you know, it was great. When it, when it worked and it was smooth, it was incredible. But I don't know that that's enough to keep me in it forever. Going back to your question. Yeah. Will I, mean, I do it forever? For somebody who says he's lazy, you certainly chose a job that requires immense effort and sustained effort. Oh, yeah, completely. Complex effort at that. I yeah. Don't, I don't think people realise, I mean, even home cooks who know how complicated cooking can be if you put your mind to it. Don't think about the kind of the pressures of being in a kitchen. But I think also, you know, uh, the thing that I think annoys most people, I don't really care because it doesn't bother me. But, you know, I've started watching the new season of MasterChef started. So I, I watch it because I find it interesting to see what they're doing, you know, just 
And some of the things they're doing are incredible. You know, there's no question that there are people doing incredible things with food. And I look at it and I just think, who comes up with this stuff? You know, how do you, sitting at home, come up with this idea? Because I work in restaurants where I see stuff and I, I would never dream of coming up with this stuff. And, but I also think it's twisted. You know, everyone gets sort of, oh, okay, well, you know, they're doing 250 covers and that's really easy. And, you know, they pump it out and... You know, they when they're in the restaurants, you know, the the head chefs are a lot more friendly. <laughs> they're not sort of screaming at them about stuff. Do you so, think it's just because they're on TV? Maybe. It's also because they're, you know, not used to doing this stuff. So I think there's a, an element of I can't really be as harsh to these people as I would be to my staff who I work with every day and who kind of, you know, should know better. I can't think a person who's in here for the first time is going to know how this stuff works. Would you ever be the head of a kitchen? I would. So there's a really interesting thing that happens in kitchens. You start at the bottom and you're a pleb and you get yelled at and then you move up and you move up and you move up and most of the time, by the time you get to head chef, you don't spend any time in the kitchen. You're like ordering stuff and you're doing paperwork and as you get higher up you spend less and less time in the kitchen which is ultimately why you got in the game you get to the top and you're like i spend no time in the kitchen i'm like ordering stuff and sorting stuff out and doing rosters and you know it's it's a weird kind of paradox you know you spend all this time trying to get to the top and then you get there and you're not doing any of the stuff that you that got you into wanted, the game for i think that's the doing. same with most organizations above a certain level you're just into hr really you're just yeah. managing people yeah and uh yeah that's i think that's the great tragedy of people who start businesses because they love them yeah but i think uh for me if i was like a head chef or a sous chef like i i would be okay with that i don't think i'd ever open my own restaurant i want all care and no responsibility <laughs> like if it all goes belly up like I just want to be able to. You like, want to be able to walk later. away like Kaiser Soze. <laughs> exactly, just walk away and be like, "Cool, no worries." I'll Drop the limp, to, get go, into the car, go on to the next thing, and not have to think about it. Exactly, but yeah, I think, I think trying to work out, you know, this is you asked me what I'm wrestling with. I think trying to work out, you know, Hollywood has this idea of just do what makes you happy and everything will be okay. I think there's a reality to that that it doesn't always work. You know, sometimes you just have to have a shitty job and you have to make ends meet, you know, and it's trying to find not necessarily something that makes me happy, but something that I'm okay with, you know, that I think, yeah, I can do this long term and not, sustainable. not kind of come home every day and, you know, want to poke my eyes out with a fork so that I don't ever have to go back, you know, I don't know. I don't know. That, that's, that to me at this point is something, but I'm also, you know, I sort of, think I'm almost 33 and I think well if this isn't it the number of times that I can restart are rapidly decreasing I think as you get older you can only restart so many times and I think that if this isn't it I've probably got one more shot at it and then I'm too old and then I just have to sort of suck it up and do whatever I do yeah I don't know about that I think you you know this kind of life extension stuff that's happening now and healthcare is getting better and better we are the generation that will have four or five or six different careers. Yeah, but like, you know, you're in a law firm or you're a, like a school, so I go into like teaching or whatever. 
do you want to hire like a 45 year old teacher who's never taught in a classroom <laughs> you got you got a heart that's hard work you know because you're sort of you're getting close-ish to retirement age and you have zero experience you know if oh, we're, we're never getting retirement age poorly they're just going to push it back and back oh but you know what i mean it's like if you I come do. in at 24 well you can be shit for six years and you're still only 30 there's a lot of good years ahead of you you come in at 45 and you're shit for six years you're 51 you start you know you're, you're not very useful to a lot of people for very long you start saying well okay I, i'm not i can't retire but maybe i'll do like 0.5 or 0.8 and I'll do less days and what's the point you know so so I mean this is the second time you've mentioned being useful is that really is something that's very important to you I mean in terms of when you were talking about your doctor talking to you about weight loss you were like well then you'd be a burden on somebody I um yeah I, I always joke that I'm a man with no discernible talents and I don't think that's true it's just a fun phrase that I, I have enjoyed but I think there's I, I do think being useful and being able to contribute something meaningful to society, I think that adds to one's kind of, I don't know what the word is, value, if you will, like quote-unquote value in their life. I think that probably helps to some degree, but maybe not. Maybe, maybe it's all just bullshit. <laughs> maybe, you know, I, I met a guy one time when I was in radio, we went away on this tour and uh, he was a consultant to the guys who were the major sponsor of this tour. He just happened to be in town at the same time as us. And we went out for dinner. So it was me and the girl I was traveling with from the office and this consultant and the head of this company. And the girl got talking to the head of the company and I got talking to this consultant. And I was just asking him about stuff. And he said, oh, you know, um, for a long time I had a, a construction business construction business was doing incredibly well I was making a lot of money it was great and he said one time I uh I went to see my parents you know and dad could tell I wasn't happy and was asking you know what was on my mind and I said oh, I'm thinking of selling up the business you know and this and that and I'm not really sure what to do and you know I've got this young family now I've got these responsibilities to them and he said dad gave me the best piece of advice of all time which is no one lies on the deathbed thinking I wish I'd done more overtime <laughs> and I often reflect on that as well it's a it's a concept to me that it's very interesting, you know, you can get caught up in the minutiae of life and you think, when I get to the end, none of this is going to matter. Like, and, and I don't want this to be my, not even legacy, but just when I get to the end, I don't want this to be the thing that I'm thinking about. Yeah. You know, these little things that at the time, you know, it's like high school. When you're at high school, high school and exams seem like the biggest thing in the world and if I fuck it up, like, that's the end of my life. And I always reflect, I, I have a friend of mine who's a dentist who I went through, you know, primary school and high school with and we always say, if I ever got asked back to give a speech, which, well, I'm a man with failed careers, of course they're never going to ask me, but my overwhelming sense of advice would be, none of this counts. Like, and not to say don't try, but if it all goes pear-shaped... You know, I have a guy who did, we, we used to call it TEE. I guess it's like HSC, it's like VCE. They changed the name. They probably changed it six times since I left high school. I don't know what the hell they call it now. Final exams. Yeah. He did non-TEE, right? So he did all the like pleb subjects with no exams because that's what he wanted to do. He didn't want to do that. He's now an incredible doctor. Yeah. 
Like, none of it matters. Everyone has this idea that, oh, at age 14, I have to work it out. I have to know. And I think people get so caught up in this stuff. I I used to tutor a kid um, and he had very bad anxiety. Uh, He was very stressed out. He'd have panic attacks in his exams. And his mum was obsessed with it. She was, uh, she was trying to get him to do really well and she'd sit in on our tutoring and she'd give me a lift back to the station and talk over what we'd done. And uh, after a few weeks, I realised what the problem was. It, it was her. But that's it. And so he was, she was like, how can we give him coping strategies for the exams? And I said, I think that you need to stop worrying. But nothing breaks my heart more than, you know... Some kids killed themselves just before their final exams. Yeah. For what? Like, what does it matter? None of this stuff matters. And, you know, I went through, I, I did leaving exams and I got to university and that was great. But, you know, I'm not using any of that stuff now, you know? I'm not talking to anyone about post-purchase dissonance and advertising theory in a kitchen. Because what does it mean to it? You know, and you will move around and you will do other stuff and... You, know. you can yeah you can usually find another way to get where you want to be and there's another there's another thing that I often think about which is I did um, in my last year at law school there was an elective in mediation which I took okay uh, and they always say uh, ask for interests not positions okay. so you say you have two people and they're both like we want the house I want the house you can't have the house <laughs> you know whatever it is that's their position yeah sure but what you want to find out is what they actually want what they mean, yeah. you know, do they want vengeance? Do they want a safe place? Do they want financial security? Do they want to win? What, what is it that they actually want? Because then you can find a different way to get it. Yeah, okay. You know, do you want, I mean, do you want your high marks because you want to get to a place in life? Do you want them for the glory? Do you want, the, well, what, what's the, what's your interest in that? And then you can find, you know, if you don't get the marks, there are other ways to glory. There are other ways to achievement. There are other ways to to be applauded for your achievements. But I think particularly at high school, it all matters. You know, oh, what I get as my score at the end of school counts for so much. And you get into university and maybe for two weeks, people asked you what you got in your final exams and no one could give a flying fuck about any of it. They just don't care. No one could care less what you did at high school or how you went. It then becomes, are you a good person? Do I enjoy hanging out with you? The answer is yes couldn't care less if the answer is no well then you've got problems on your hands yeah it's a, it's a it is a an interesting i mean it's the same thing as when you do a play or something and they they call it play hot or there are various words for it but if you're in a closed circuit environment you're you'll find the most attractive person in that environment for you and they become the most attractive person in the world because the world is only that environment yeah. and you go out into the real world and you realize they're whatever six out of ten by your normal scale Uh, but it's like that once you have a closed circuit world the highest achievement in that tiny tiny world high school is those exams or is getting the lead in that play or you know what i mean yeah it's it's a weird kind of it's a complete lack of perspective which i think why if i have kids i'll make them do out of school activities not the school's activities but other things so they meet other people and know other ways and other yeah, I, scales I, of success. But I wrestle with it. I don't really wrestle with it. It's just something that I wish I'd known when I was at school. And yeah. I think for me it was, again, it was hard because I had a brother and sister who, you know, my, I mean, my sister did incredibly well. My brother was fourth in the state for leaving exams, you know. 
that's a hard bar to meet, you know, when you're not, when you're getting like 55 and 60 for most of your stuff at school, if you're lucky, you know, you know you're not going to be that. But I was also, I was really fortunate, you know, mum and dad never compared us. They never expected me to be them and they knew that I had my strengths and I had my weaknesses and academically at school, I was not very good. I got to university and I found stuff I enjoyed and I did well at it. That's the other thing. It's, you know, you're forced into subjects at school and, you know, what do I care about? Like chemistry, you know? I did it because I had the support of my sister who helped me through and, you know, could explain it all to me. But, I mean, now it's like every time someone's like, oh, yeah, I'm a high school chemistry teacher. And I'm like, oh, what is it? Like acid plus base equals salt plus water, that kind of thing. They're like, no, it's much more complicated than that. And I'm like, okay, this conversation's over. See you later. (laughs) I'll go and get a Coke from the bar. (laughs) Thanks for talking to me for the four seconds you gave me. That's all I have to say about this. And, yeah, I don't know. It's a thing that I... I don't think I regret any of it, but it's just something that I think... If I could go back in time and know how little this mattered, I think life would have been a lot easier. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's. It, I think there's a big trick that they play on students, which is to say, you know, the thing like this, again, it's interest versus positions. Those marks are the most important, but it's not. What, they're, what, what school is for is to train you to work hard. A school is also to train you to be a decent person, to yeah. be a, like, functioning member of society. And if you come out and you're not, like you know, punching guys in the back of the head in lines to nightclubs and you're not, like, raping and you're not murdering and you're just a decent functioning member of society, then school has done its job, you yeah, know? I mean, it's also, it's also about learning, obviously. I understand that. But, but it's not about what you learn. It's about teaching you to learn and teaching you that you can learn. Yeah, and that, you know... But they don't tell you that at school. No, of course not. For I the mean, most part. And I if mean, they do, you don't believe them. Oh, no. And if they, you know, if you're a teacher that went into a school and said, none of this matters, you would get fired in one second. Like, <laughs> schools don't want you to put that message out there either. And... That's why I'll never be invited back to my high school to speak <laughs> because I think they know that I'll come in. They'll be like, this is all bullshit, kids. Like, don't but stress. Import- I mean, I think, you know, you said they wouldn't want you to talk because you've had two failed careers. I mean, I think uh, there's that, there's that um, what's it called? Oh, I can't remember what it's called. There's a term for it, but it's, it's that f- you can learn more from failure than you can from success. But here's an example, right? So when I was in radio and I was probably at the peak of my radio career, right? I was hosting this statewide breakfast show out of Perth. It was like amazing, you know, eh, the show was probably medium and, you know, it was probably, it sounds very arrogant, but it was probably ahead of its time. The things I was trying to do are now popular now, but eight years ago, no one was really into it. They wanted you to play more Nickelback. That was just the way it was. And we got sent to Broome up north here in Western Australia um, for the Northwest Expo. Very clean place. Uh, it's very nice. Broome's <laughs> delightful, actually. Um, but anyway, so we're there for the Northwest Expo. And the guy I was traveling with who'd come with me, who was my co-host, was back in the studio pushing buttons and I was the guy on the ground. And I was just walking around and my old high school had a stand at this expo, you know, trying to get kids to come down and, you know, go to school. And I happened to see the headmaster who was there, you know, sort of schmoozing. And he looked at me and he's like, oh, you look familiar. I'm like, oh, yes, sir. I I went to Christchurch. I was, you know, class of 2001. He's like, oh, what are you doing now? And I sort of was like, oh, I'm hosting this statewide breakfast show. He's like, oh, 
that's great. Seklong Tan, who was the Ducks of our year, Seklong Tan came and gave the like gave the address at the headmaster's dinner last week. And he didn't give a shit what I was doing. He just wanted to remind me that Seklong Tan was incredibly successful and had started his own charity and this and that. You know, like, this is the kind of meter we have for these things. And Seklong Tan is a nice guy and he's, like, perfectly fine. But really, I don't give a shit. And he doesn't give a shit what I'm doing, you know? I would be surprised if Seklong Tan was like, oh, he hosts a statewide breakfast show. That's cool. We don't see eye to eye on these things. But it's kind of... So I say they would never invite me back because that was my one experience where I was doing something cool and if they wanted me to come and talk, that was my chance to sell myself. And all I got told was Seklong Tan had started a charity and gave the address at the headmaster's dinner. I mean, that, I mean, it's an interesting thing that you kind of in some way want to go back. Yeah, I I think it would be an interesting thing. I think I was never kind of... At school, I was never academically successful. I um, I got into the state debating squad. I was good at that. Um, but, you know, at that time in my life, I thought, like you, I was probably going to be a comic. Um, I was never very good at that, so that didn't work out. There's another failed career we can go through. I didn't think I was going to be a comedian until I was knee-deep in it poorly. But, uh, you I know... Didn't realize, I didn't think I wanted to be a comedian until I realised I already was one. But I sort of... To me, debating was about getting people to laugh. Yeah. And it was about, like, how can I... You know, I, I remember reading in the start of Jerry Seinfeld's book, he talks about his dad was a sign painter. And he used to paint these, like, hand paint these signs for companies. And he's like, you know, sometimes I don't care if I even get the job. I just want to break those serious businessmen faces. I just want them to laugh. And, you know, that that was always something that stuck with me. Of You'd go into these rooms and everyone would be snooty and like, oh, no, this is all very serious. We should debate about whether, you know, Hansi Cronje is a cricket cheat. Yeah why like who cares like let the like cricket people decide whether or not he's cheating and none of it matters and i just would like to get people to sort of smile and laugh and if you can you know kind of warp this stuff to be entertaining then i've done my job and if we win great and if we lose i don't really care about that either so do you want to help the kids who are at school now or do you kind of want to go back in time and help yourself um i, I think I th think what I want is to the pe the kids who are like I was and never really feel like they found their place in school shouldn't really stress about that stuff you know mm -hmm. it, because again this is a microcosm of society this is I mean ultimately 12 years of your life but high school was 5 years of your life or 6 years now I think they've changed it so that grade 7's part of high school now wasn't when I was there. I don't really know. It's all very weird. Um, but like, this is a very small fraction of your life and you will look back on it and think, I met some cool people. I did some cool stuff, but mostly it was a waste of time and I just did it because I had to. Yeah, it's a very strange world. In any other, um, in any other time in history, you would have had friends who were older and younger than you and in high school, you get slotted into this age bracket, which I don't think is, is good for building a society. But I also, you know, some of the some of the coolest people that I've hung out with recently, there was a guy who was the year below me at school who was back from England and I caught up with him and it was amazing. We had a great time, you know, went to the pub, he drank his beer, I drank my Coke and the younger brother of a guy who was in my year at school just came back from America, had been in America for 15 years. So I caught up with him. Incredible, like really interesting guy, really cool guy. 
I was like, why did I care? Why do you care if people are like, oh, you're hanging out with the guy younger than you? You're a good person, you're a good person. It, that's what it comes back to, ultimately, is if you're not a douchebag, I'll hang out with you. I don't care. It doesn't bother me, you know, older, younger, you know. And I was the same, you know, when I went back to TAFE. Everyone was younger than me. There was one girl who was my age who was very snooty and I didn't like it all. And then, you know, the guy who became my, like, TAFE buddy was, like, 18. Well, I'm 32. Like, there's a big age difference between us. But he was a cool guy, so we hung out. You know, that that's kind of... To me, it doesn't really matter. None of that stuff, you know. And he was a young 18-year-old as well. He was not, like, a mature 18-year-old. But, <laughs> you know. So that's the moral of the of the podcast? Yeah, just... Just you be know. a good person. Yeah, don't be a douchebag. Like... Be a nice guy or girl. You know, I say guy in the broad sense, you know. I don't want people to send you hate mail saying, oh, he's so sexist, you know. Mm. What about the women? No, my listeners are very good about that. It's, be, it's more about an intent than the language. Be Although nice you did, I think, earlier in the show call people he, she's, which I think is I think is classified as a, a hate term, possibly. I don't think so. You understand <laughs> what I'm you, saying. Your intention was pure. Of course. I, I, I don't have a problem with any of that. I just... Yeah, I think that's it. I think if you're a nice person and ultimately, you know, you're not, like, trying to make people's life more miserable, then, uh, you know, that's okay. And good good things happen to good people, you know. That's the other thing that's important to remember. But good people who do stuff. If you're sitting on your ass watching the Goldbergs like me, <laughs> n- nothing much is going to happen. That's also a certain reality that we have to live with. But... I'm okay with that too. Where can people find you online, Paulie? Where can people find me? I, you know, I'm, I'm starting this thing to try and get this show off the ground, right? And I'm trying to get it up. So if people want to get on board, uh, you can find me on the Instagram, uh, The Sandwich Jones Show. There's a Facebook page for it. There may even be a Tumblr for it. I don't even really know. I'm not very good at that. Look, so ma- you said you weren't doing anything and here you are. <sighs> I've posted like six photos. I feel like that's it's not going to get it's point. not going to get me a TV show. Uh, and I link the you know Instagram photos to the Facebook. So I'm not even doing double the work. I do like half the work to get twice the reward. But anyway, the Sandwich Jones show may or may not ever be a thing. But if you want to try and like get people to like it, that'd be great. I'd like some followers. I'd like more than you know my ex girlfriend, my best mate, and my ex girlfriend's dog following me. Uh, <laughs> that would be that would be great. So. That's follow what follow Polly online. It's always a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Oh, the pleasure was all mine. Thanks for having me.
And wait. 